Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. way faster than I thought. I was like, oh, I can say you have five seconds to find your seat and then it just goes. So go ahead and find your seats. I promise you can finish your conversations after church. Alex, you got to sit down, bro. (laughs) I mean, you can like walk around the room and Just don't talk to people while I'm talking. (laughs) Well, welcome back to church. This is our second week in our new, what's not new anymore, it's our Drift series. Um, Phil kicked us off last week, and it was amazing. If you have not listened to that message, go back and listen to it. This week, I can't even recap it for you perfectly, because when a Schaefer brother preaches, you leave the room smarter. Um. Like, I don't know what their parents taught them, but it is amazing when they preach. I'm like, wow, I feel so smart right now. (laughs) You're not going to get that from me, sorry. (laughs) But that's a beautiful thing about how our church is set up. So we have a leadership team, and we have a teaching team. And so there's never, it is rare that you'll get the same person twice in a row up here. Um, Usually it's Chris, because... He gets a word, and he's like, I got this whole series. Sorry, guys. And the rest of us are like, you go, bro, because I don't think I could match that passion. But we have a team of people who all are uniquely designed by God to preach his word in different ways. And it's the coolest thing. And I was, had to go back in the archives of the podcast and see how long I've been preaching It's been about three years, and if you sat through my first message, Lord bless you. There is a good thing there was food that day, because I think I went for an hour and a half, and I, none of it made sense, but that's okay. (laughs) Y'all got something from it, but um, the encouragement and the way that I have grown has been amazing, and it's cool to see other people on the team who have grown in the same way. So if you're on the teaching team, whether you feel that or not, your voice is valued by this church, by the Lord, but the Lord more than me, that's more important. But by me, I value your voice. I value the diversity that you bring to the team and the uniqueness. And I think it is just such a cool picture of the creativity of God. So... Listen to Phil's message. That's the point of all of that because I'm not smart enough to recap all of the historical details in it. But thank you, Phil, because I learned a lot. (laughs) This series was based off of um, one verse in the Nate Johnston quote. And that quote is, I think it should be read every week because it is just so profound. And I think if we don't repeat it, we're going to miss it, and you can get something different every time. And the quote says, it's the small compromises that lead us slowly onto a different trajectory than the Holy Spirit's. 
As individuals, it's choosing excess scrolling on social media and Netflix over worship in the word. It's those moments we choose something over a period of time until we become jaded and numb. It's choosing safe and tidy and protecting reputation over embracing the mess and learning of God's visitation, his presence. We talked about that earlier. It's still, it still have the form and function of something God breathed, but the breath has moved on. That's a scary place to be. We need to follow him at all cost. Church, I pray that this is the hour that you sever your ties with religion and culture. Find the raw cry inside of you and lock eyes with Jesus again. And I could just mic drop right here and be done and walk off this stage, but the Lord gave me more to that. And I'm excited to share it with you. Um, and in a few weeks, we're actually going to start a series on expectations. And if we have expectations for God, if you have expectations for God, I know I have, and I've had to release some of those actually this week, you've already drifted further away from his presence than you've realized. If you have expectations for the one who reigns supreme, who created heaven and earth, who knit you together in your mother's womb, you have drifted further away from him than you would like to admit. And Phil's three points last week that I can tell you, they were phenomenal. Drifting is generational, it's subtle, and it will feel right to you even when everyone else sees foolishness. And I'm going to give you a few more words and we're going to add to that arsenal today on how or why we drift. And those are... and. Before I give you those words, these series that we have been in, I feel like are so profound. Um, and we're not trying to push you into shame or guilt. We're trying to help you walk into freedom and out of a safe place where you are guarded and you have your walls up with the Lord. Because we want you to have more of his presence. We want you to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. And we want more of the freedom that he offers us. And so I feel like these, these series have been so profound into the next season that he's been bringing us, that he's going to bring us into. Because he wants more for you. He doesn't want us to be withheld. He doesn't want us outside the canopy. He doesn't want us so far from his presence that we that we can't step into more with him because we're so far off base. And so um, these three words are distraction, four words, I guess, distraction, discontentment, which I'm not good at spelling. And I had to dictionary, like look at this up and see, make sure it was an actual word first before I put it up there. <laughs> but it is. Distractions, discontentment, disapproval or disagreement. And so um, those are all can be reasons how we drift. In Hebrews 21 or 2, 1 says, this is the verse that our series is based off of. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And so we're going to visit the Israelites again. And this time we're going back to their time in the wilderness and how distraction, discontentment, and disapproval led them away from the promises of God, from, from experiencing those. And I think we like to go back and reminisce on things. And we like to go back and we like to complain 
But church, we only go back to testify about where he has brought us from. Like we use the word of God and we go back and this is a, a, this is a guide for us. This is a test. This is for us to testify what has God has done and what he's going to continue to do. And so we don't go back to complain or be bitter towards the Lord and wish that we were back in the pain and the trials that he delivered us from. That is discrediting his sovereignty and his faithfulness. There's something that needs to be broken off in many of our lives. I probably all of our lives because we are missing out on the miraculous power of God because we hold on to the past. We're holding on to man-made promises. We're holding on to greed. We're holding on to the mentality that we know better than God. We're holding on to, if this is really God answering my prayers, the life wouldn't be this hard. This isn't how it, it was going to look. And I would just like to remind us all that we live in a fallen, broken world. And so on this side of eternity, that there's still going to be some pain with those promises. There's going to be some things that we have to walk through, but that doesn't mean that the Lord is far away from us. That doesn't mean that his presence has left us. And so we dismantle those lies and that thinking, and we send it straight back to the pit of hell in the name of Jesus. And we're going to replace those lies with truth, with honor and respect for our Father in heaven and eyes to see his faithfulness in our lives. The Israelites, we like to make them out to be idiots when we're more like them than we like to admit. And so for their sake and for the sake of time, I'm only going to share two instances where they drift, where their drifting came into play. And so this is um, shortly after God has delivered them from Egypt. He brought them out of slavery. He did awesome things. He parted the Red Sea, and they were able to go through and be saved. And he is taking them into the promised land, but they get a little held up in the wilderness for a short 40 years. And God said... He did what he said he was going to do, and they still can't get their crap together. I don't know who they think they are. So, first, Exodus 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at <clears throat> Repidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Discontentment. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Disapproval. But the Lord, <clears throat> but the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Disapproval. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand a staff with, what you with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock. Strike the rock and water will come out for the people to drink. Wow. That, like, just strike the rock. There's water. And so Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord not among us? This was shortly after they were brought out of Egypt. 
and they are so discontent with where the Lord currently has them that they aren't even thankful for the promise that he fulfilled, bringing them out of slavery. Like, they want to go back. Why would he bring me out of here if this is what he's going to continue to do? If I'm going to be thirsty and desperate again, why would the Lord bring me out? How often do we do do that with the Lord? We're on just the other side of the promise, and we're like, oh, wait, maybe I'll go back. Being back there, I had more money. Being back there, I had more authority and power over other people. Being back there, I didn't have to want for anything. Numbers 11. The rabble with them began to crave their food. crave other food. This is, a rabble's a mob. I didn't know that. So it was a mob of people. They began to crave other food than what the Lord was giving to them. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. God was writing down food from heaven for them. And it wasn't enough anymore. They wanted other things. They were so discontent and so distracted that what God had provided for them wasn't enough anymore. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot and made it into loaves, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family. This wasn't just a small group. This was every family. I don't even know how many people that is, but that's a lot. Wailing at the entrance to their tent, distracted. I'm sure it just started with a few people being discontent, and then it trickled down. And that happens in our lives. A few of us are discontent. A few of us are unhappy in this place. And then it just starts going and trickling down. And then we're in this cycle of complaining and bitterness. And so every family wailing at the entrance of their tents, the Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you burden all of the people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised an oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. Discontentment. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is in you and put it on them. 
They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. How good is he to answer our prayers like that? Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. When you will eat meat, the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, to five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord. If I had, oh, I'm not like a huge fan of meat to begin with. And so if I had to eat all of this meat and it's coming out of my nose, bleh, like reading this, I was like, mm, makes me queasy. Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you will say, I will give them eat, meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if the flocks and the herd, herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Disapproval and distraction. Moses was so caught up in how... How, God, how am I going to do this for these people? How am I going to be able to provide for these things? He's asking God to provide it, but he's so concerned with just the worldly way things work that he's missing out what God's going to do. He, God's going to answer the prayer that people want me till it's coming out of their noses. And Moses is like, God, you're crazy. How are you going to do that? The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Skip down to verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits. That's approximately six feet deep all around the camp. I would be under birds. I'm 5'8 on a good, when I'm being generous to myself. So... That does not sound like a good time to me. As far as a day's walk in any direction, all that day and all that night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers, which is one and three-fourths tons. I don't know how that happens because I can barely lift 25 pounds on a good day. So, muscles. Then they spread them all out around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. So he answered their prayers, but it wasn't what he had planned for them. It wasn't, what he had wasn't good enough for them. And so now they're reaping what they sowed of being discontent with the Lord from drifting away from his promises. And they were struck with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Havata, Graves of the Craving, because they, there they buried the people who craved other food. So we read this, and again, are the Israelites idiots? That could be the title of this message. We think, oh my gosh, I would never treat God like this. I would never put him to the test like that. If he brought me out of slavery, I would be rejoicing. I'd never be complaining about anything. 
if God led me out of slavery, I would be fully submitted to him. If God fulfilled a promise like that, for me, I wouldn't complain at all. We could go on and on and on all day. And we can say we wouldn't do X, Y, Z. We're not like them. But if those are your first thoughts, if you read scripture and you are like, oh, my gosh, these people can't get their crap together. What are they thinking? And that's often our first response about us and other, like, about the Israelites. That's our thought about other people. Like, man, they don't have their crap together. You are further away from the presence of the Lord than you even realize. Because none of us are immune to this. It just looks different for each of us. Like how I was talking with the teaching team earlier, and we're all created uniquely by the Lord. The tactics of the enemy are also unique in each of our lives. And none of us are immune to this. Again, we live in a fallen, broken world. So our distractions might not be a golden calf or wanting meat or asking for water. Praise Jesus, those needs are met. But what about social media? What about TV, video games, pornography, greed, money, status, all of those things can drift us away from the presence of God if our hearts are not aligned with his. Like, money isn't a bad thing, but when it becomes an idol in your life, it is no longer a good thing. It drifts you away from the presence of the, of the Lord. And our discontentment might not be that we're wandering around in an actual desert, Again, praise God, because I would be dying. Alex, I know you would. He's not even in here. But he, he, like, man prays for rain because he hates the heat is what I'm picking up on his Instagram stories. Like, we don't have to wander around in an actual desert. But have you drifted so far away from the Lord and you don't even realize it? And he's fulfilled his promises, and he's, he's waiting for you to take the step into the things that he has promised for you. He's waiting for you to take that next step. He's waiting to give you this gift, but you are so caught up. You are so distracted. You are so discontent with what your life looks like right now that you, you're, you're so consumed with self-pity that you won't even take the next step. And I think we wander around in the wilderness in our lives. We have created um, man-made wildernesses. And we act helpless and distraught, and we sit in self-pity because we feel like the presence of God has drifted away from us. Like, there can be seasons of wildernesses in our life. We did a whole series on it way, way back. And... Those are supposed to be times where you stretch and you grow and you're refined. Like a wilderness season isn't supposed to make you drift away from the Lord. It's not, it, that should be a time where you submit fully to God and you experience more of his presence because of what you are going through. Church, his presence cannot and will not drift away from us. His presence is all around us whether we notice it or not. 
And we drift when we don't let the presence of God fill us completely. Those songs that were picked this morning, I had no idea until I got here on Thursday night and we were rehearsing them. My husband shared a word this morning. He had no idea what I was preaching on. It was me, the Lord, and Heather because somebody has to check my notes and make sure my theology is right. And it is so cool that he wants us to experience more of him, that he's going to keep speaking it because he wants it for every single person here. He wants it for every single person, period. And we drift because we have room, because we are not full of the presence of God. We drift when we don't let the presence of God fill us completely. And we leave room for other things to occupy the space that was only meant for the Lord. When we let good things turn into idols and take up space that was only meant for the Lord. When we are distracted by the thoughts and the approvals of others that we pay more attention to what they say or think. And we let that take up space in our hearts instead of the presence of God. Disapproval might not be doubting whether or not the Lord is going to throw down six feet deep quail from heaven and we're eating it until it comes out of our noses. But where in your life have you doubted the Lord that when he answers a prayer, it isn't good enough for you? And it doesn't meet the expectations that you had for him because you're holding on to a false man-made promise and that's a cheap version of what the Lord has offered you. You will not get to experience the fullness of God and the things that he is trying to give you when you are holding on to false promises. It's cheap. That is not getting to experience bringing heaven to earth. That's putting more earth on earth, if that's even possible. That is being so consumed with the world and how we think things should go and how we think things should be that we are missing out on everything the Lord is doing. In Christian culture, we like to throw around verses pretty flippantly. And there's two that came to mind as I was preparing for this message And I think we throw them out there without understanding the full context of what is promised by God and also required of us. Because God is faithful to keep his promises and fulfill them to us, but it usually requires some legwork from us. There has to be some effort. He's not a a genie. Like, I mean, he could just like snap his fingers and give us what we want. But I think we miss out on a lot if that's how things went. So the first verse, and we all know it, and you probably could say it with me, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is truth. This is what the Lord has for us. He wants good things for our lives. He has good things for your lives. He wants you to be full of hope. He wants you to cling to his promises. But want to know what a game changer is? You read on. You read the surrounding verses. And then we get to get the full picture. 
When we dig a little deeper, we understand the Lord more. And I'm not discrediting, discrediting this verse on its own. But I feel like we miss out on the full truth if we don't know what is promised by God and required of us. And so this passage, starting in verse 10, first, thus says the Lord, when 70 years of exile have been completed for Babylon, I will visit and you and keep my good promises to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans and thoughts I have for you, says the Lord, plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12, this is where it gets good. Then you will call on me, and you will come and pray to me, and I will hear your voice, and I will listen to you. Then, with a deep longing, you will seek me and require me as a vital necessity, and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Verse 14, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will free you and gather you from all the nations and, I, and from all places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to this place for where I sent you into exile. This is all about being in his presence. Be in his presence. Make room for his presence. We will not experience the fullness of his promises without being in his presence. So yes, the Lord's plans for you are good. They're to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. But it requires seeking him first. It requires calling on him first. It requires looking to him first, to be desperate for the presence of God. To no longer be discontent and distracted and disapproving of what he has for us. The next one is Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is truth. Like, he is sovereign. He is above it all. This is what the Lord desires for us to understand and believe about him and his sovereignty. But I think we often replace the Lord's thoughts with our own thoughts. We think we know better. We think we know what the Lord has promised us. But we have muddied the waters with false desires that do not line up with what he has for us. And it's because we've drifted so far from his presence that instead of locking eyes with him and being focused on Jesus, we are claiming other people's promises as our own. And if you read on, this is what the Lord says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, making it bare and sprout, and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word, which goes out of my mouth, not your mouth, it will not return to me void. God answering a promise, that glorifies him. That does not bring glory to us. It should not bring glory to us. It will not return to me void, useless and without result, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent him. 
the Lord accomplishes what he desires. What he says does not return void. And if we are actively in his presence and making space for him, being filled with his presence instead of drifting all around, then we will understand and our thoughts and our desires, they'll align with his. And they'll no longer be these worldly thoughts and desires that keep us from him. There's a, this is a funny story, but this is how the Lord spoke to me for this series in realizing that we drift when there's room. Because if you've ever drifted a car, you need room to do the thing. <laughs> and I only know this because when I was seven, eight months pregnant, Melissa, you might not know this, sorry, your son tried to send me into labor by drifting our stick shift car in the snow. Like all the time. I think maybe in his 18-year-old brain, like, I tried castor oil, that didn't work. He was just trying to, like, get this baby out. And so we would drift. And I look back on that, and it's a funny story. And I've never drifted a car any other time in my life. Well, I wasn't actively driving. But you have to have space to move. Like, if you aren't in a large parking lot or however, wherever else you would drift a car, you're going to hit things and you're going to come up against things and you're going to wreck your car. But when we're full of the presence of God, we don't have that space to move. We can't move because we are so engulfed and surrounded by his presence and we are safe and we are protected there. That canopy, right? We're under the canopy that we don't have that space to move away from him, to step out from under his canopy and his authority and his presence. We make his presence into this scary and daunting thing when it's really not. It is supposed to be, it should be our favorite place to be. And his presence is all around us, but there's something that happens like in Jeremiah 29, 11, and the verse says, after when we call on his presence, like when we call on him and ask for more of him and he responds and then there's the manifest presence of God that I have only experienced a few times in my life, but it is the best thing ever. Like you can taste it and you can feel it and you can smell it. And that happened here on Thursday night and it was the coolest thing. Like I didn't want to leave I love my bed and I love to go home, but I did not want to leave that tangible presence of God. And he wants us to always actively be in that place with him. He desires this intimacy with us. But we're so consumed by other stuff, by other things. And for the better part of seven years, I think I've lived, I've let myself drift away from the presence of of God at times because I made up my own wilderness. I let myself wander around in this place where the ways that he's answered prayers wasn't good enough. 
and I think back to the times where I've been desperate for him, like on my knees, crying out. And there's two times specifically that I can tangibly remember like that manifest presence where I just called out to him because I was so desperate. I felt so alone. And one was every day for like the first month after my brother died. And I would listen to the song, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And I held on to the truth of those words because grief, it's different for each of us. And I think I was so desperate for Jesus. I was, my heart was so broken that all I wanted was to be in his presence because that is the only place I felt joy. That is the only place I felt completely known. That's the only place I didn't feel alone and depressed and anxious. And then the other one, we've, many of you know our son Ted. In a few months, actually nine months, or around nine months, I remember um, I have friends who have dearly loved me in a season of longing for a baby. And they have cared for me so deeply. And Tay, you, you called me or FaceTimed me something like that one day when you told me you were pregnant with Kai. And I was so full of joy for her while at the same time my heart grieved for myself. And I just remember I dropped to my knees and I started, I started praying and I started worshiping. And the same thing God has repeated to me over the last 18 months since we've gotten our son, he first said to me then, I remember it. I was listening to the song's Promises by Maverick City. And he said, do you trust me? And I'm like, yes, I want to. But it's been six years of waiting for this. So maybe not, maybe I don't trust you. And then we have our son and God fulfilled that promise, but it's not what I thought it would look like. And I thought I have drifted from his presence. And I've had these expectations of like, God, this is not how it was supposed to be. There was not supposed to be so much emotion and heartache and sending my son to visit someone who doesn't really care about him for two hours every week is the worst thing. And I hate it. And I'm so ready for it to be over. And every Tuesday morning, God's like, do you trust me? Do you trust me, Katie? Do you trust that I am going to, that I have fulfilled this promise to you already? It's already fulfilled. It's not waiting anymore. We're not waiting for it any longer. It's happened. But like I said earlier, it's that choosing to go back. Because we have that room to drift away from the Lord, we choose to go back. And we choose to sit in our self-pity and our expectations of what we thought life would look like. 
instead of being consumed by his presence, instead of being consumed by his promises that he has for us, instead of being like, yep, nope, God, your thoughts, they're higher than mine. Your ways, higher than mine. What you say does not return void. What you want to accomplish is what you desire. So Lord, do that in me. Accomplish what you want to in me. Help me make space for you to fully consume every single part of my life. And like Heather said earlier, there's, there's things that we have like this death grip on that, that we're not with, willing to surrender. And God's like, let it go. Let those expectations go. Let what you thought this would look like, let it go. Let me do what I said I was going to do. He doesn't want us to be drifting away from him constantly. He doesn't want us to be from under, outside from under that canopy. And like Phil said last week, drifting subtle. It's not like this full-blown sprint out, out of the presence of God. It's subtle. It's that one thing that you complain about. that one time you were like, oh, I'm going to hit snooze. And then you, find, you go throughout your day and you never make time for the presence of God. And then that becomes habitual. And yes, we want to experience his manifest presence. We want to tangibly feel it. But if your eyes aren't open for his presence in the small things every single day, then you will not be able to experience that. Because you won't even know what it looks like to experience his presence in, in a sunset, in a sunrise, in a conversation with your spouse, in your kids jumping on the couch and laughing and playing. In a text from a friend that came just when you needed it. He wants you to experience those things. But we can't and we won't when we're occupied with other things. When our presence is so far away from him. Because his presence never leaves us. We're the ones who drift away. We're the ones who choose to step out and away from him. And so God, we just, we repent of the times that we have stepped away from you, from the time, for the times that we didn't, we were discontent with the things that you promised us. We repent for the times that we had expectations on what we think you should do how we think you should answer this promise, this desire of our heart, instead of letting our desires align with you, God. God, we submit our hearts, we submit our lives to you. We surrender every aspect of them to you, God, because we don't want to miss out 
on your presence. We don't want to miss out on your promises and the things that you are doing for us. Jesus, you're just too good to us. You are too good for us. You love us so much, even though we are so broken and so unworthy of those things. But because of you, we are made whole. We are no longer broken. Because of you, we are worthy to stand in the presence of God and experience the fullness of bringing heaven to earth. And so we ask for more of that, God. We ask for more of those experiences. God, I would just, I just ask that you would tear off veils. That scales would fall from eyes right now, Lord. That as people go out from this place today, and maybe they experienced your presence here, God, I pray that they would experience that all day, every day, God. That we would no longer be blind to the promises that you are fulfilling. That we would no longer have expectations on what it looks like to be in your presence. Because being in your presence can be thunderstruck playing in the background and kids jumping on the, on the couch. But it is a submitted heart. It is a willing heart. It's an expectant heart for you to show up, God, because you're already there. We ask you to show up, but we know you're already here. We should know you're already here. And God, so just show us where you are. We ask for more of you. We ask that you would let us feel your manifest presence. Let us tangibly feel you here, God, because it is unlike anything else. And so we thank you for the honor that it is that the authority of the authority of the name of Jesus gives us the opportunity to call heaven down to earth. That we get to be submitted servants who bring heaven to earth. Because you don't want us to wait until heaven to experience all that you have for us. You are giving it to us right here, right now. You are raining it down from heaven. And so Jesus, with submitted and willing and expectant hearts, with open hands, open hearts, with knees on the floor, with faces to the ground, God, we give it all to you. We give ourselves to you completely because we want more of you. We want to be consumed by you. And we thank you that your word doesn't return void and your desires don't return void and that you have more and more and more for us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.